Please hear now God's word. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured forth? And he said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Please now join me in prayer. Father, once again, we are grateful to be able to gather into your house this evening for a time of worship, that we might hear your word read and preached, that we might sing to you, Lord, that you might feed us and grow us in our faith. And we do now pray as we approach this section of of your Old Testament, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, you would indeed teach us that you would cause us to hear and understand well uh, what is spoken here. And so we expectantly wait as we uh, see what is before us in your word and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Discouragement is a common malady that affects the people of God. Uh, Sometimes in our lives we know how things are going, and yet we see uh, in God's Word how things ought to go, and we can become discouraged. And that is a, that's a common theme, not only with saints today, but saints throughout the ages, both in the New Testament as in the Old. If you recall from Genesis chapter 15, uh, even our father Abraham, father of the faith, was discouraged when he knew the promise of God, that God had promised him a son, and yet he had no error, and he was discouraged. And yet God gave him many great promises. And in the book of Zechariah, we see that the prophet is primarily concerned with encouraging the people of God and casting off their discouragement. 
teaching them that uh, the Lord's promises will surely succeed, that His purposes will go forth. And previously, as we looked at Zechariah chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Zechariah was given a vision of Joshua the high priest. And a great problem, a great problem that affected the people of God, that is their sin, uh, was overcome. God promised that He would deal with His people's sin, that in a single day He would atone for the iniquity of the land. Now as we turn to Zechariah chapter 4, we see the prophet address another concern, another point of discouragement that would have faced the people of God as they returned from exile. And that is the discouragement that came from the ruined temple. The discouragement that came from the ruined temple. And this this passage teaches us that God will accomplish His purposes by means of His Spirit through His servants. God will accomplish His purposes by means of His Holy Spirit through his servants. And I want us to take this passage in, in three different sections. As we continue our study of Zechariah, as we move on further into the book, uh, we certainly do run into some difficult things to understand. And yet, as we've said before, it is the, the Word of God, and we want to make sure that we understand what has been written here. And so first we have in verses 1 through 6, the source of success. Verses 1 to 6 is the source of success. Secondly, in verses 7 through 10, we see the certainty of success. And then finally, in verses 11 through 14, we see the servants of success. So the source, the certainty, and the servants. And we'll look at each of these, beginning with the source of success. If you read with me in verse 1, we can see that the the prophet Zechariah is awakened by the interpreting angel like someone who has been awakened from their sleep. And we want to make sure that we uh, notice in our text, in our English text here, that little word like, which is also in the original, which tells us that no, uh, after Zechariah saw the third vision, it's not that he dozed off into sleep. Uh, but rather that Zechariah, after he saw the third vision of Joshua, the high priest, clothed with pure vestments, it has left him in a sense that he is, he is dazed by the vision that he saw. And he needs to be uh, brought back on track. The interpreting angel says, yes, I know that you just experienced a lot. I know that you just saw some wonderful and grand things, but pay attention. Pay attention, I have more for you to see. And what is displayed before the eyes of the prophet is a great golden lampstand. And at this time, we need to remember, uh, these are called the night visions of Zechariah. They're taking place when it is dark. They're taking place at night. And as Zechariah cast his eye upon this great golden lampstand, I can't help but think how his eyes were just immediately drawn to it. Uh, If you've ever been at a bonfire in the middle of the night, or perhaps you've been driving down the road at night and you see a, a forest fire, your eyes are immediately drawn to it, are they not? 
Fire is a a very uh, uh, attractive thing to our eyes. And he sees this great golden lampstand. And if you're reading through the text, it's very easy to kind of get distracted and, and not really understand what is being spoken of here. It's, it's a lampstand, and it's the same word that's, very, uh, that's used in, say, uh, Exodus for a, a lampstand that's used as part of the furniture in the temple. And yet, as we read the description, it is different from the lampstand in the temple. It says, a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top and seven lamps on it with seven lips on the lamps that are on top of it. And on either side, two olive trees. So as you're picturing this in your mind's eye, you can picture a golden lampstand that comes up and it has seven lamps on top of this lampstand. But instead of it being only a lampstand, such as in the temple, we also have this bowl that is on top of the lampstand. And in the, in the ESV, it says that there are seven lips This could also be translated as uh, seven pipes, meaning that you have this lampstand and then up top you have this bowl that is filled with oil. And then coming out from that bowl are seven different pipes that go down to these seven lamps. And so a continual source of oil is constantly being poured down into this lampstand. And on either side of this vision is uh, Trees, olive trees on either side. And if on our first reading through this vision we're a little bit confused, uh, we need not be too concerned because it doesn't seem like the prophet at first understood what was being spoken of here. He questions, what are these? But if you notice in verse 6, rather than simply giving a a very specific answer of this is exactly what the vision means, what does the angel say? He doesn't say what it means, but rather he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it would seem that whatever this lampstand is, whatever it signifies, whatever spiritual truth the uh, angel is giving to the prophet Zechariah has something to do with Zerubbabel. Now we know that Zerubbabel, he was the governor of the people at this time. He wasn't officially king, but he was governor. So he had a, a a kingly function among the people. And both he and Joshua, they were charged with rebuilding the temple of God. Now, if we go back and we think about the lampstand just a little bit and think about the way that lamps and light and fire is used throughout the scripture, this, this could be helpful. Uh, taking this up under, under three lines of, of thinking. First of all, uh, fire and light in the Old Testament is often associated with the presence of God. Uh, For instance, in Genesis chapter 15, when uh, God is taking upon himself the covenant curse, if he fails to uphold the covenant with Abraham, you see in the night vision a smoking pot and a flaming torch going between those two animals. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord appears to Moses out of a burning bush. 
So it can be representative of the presence of God. Secondly, it can be representative of the temple. Because as we read in Exodus chapter 25, uh, we're told that a, a golden lampstand will be in the temple. And thirdly and finally, light and fire can also be representative of the people of God. For instance, in the New Testament, what does Jesus tell to his disciples? But you are the light of the world. And in our study of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, uh, we were told by the interpreting angel that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so with that, uh, those different lines of thinking, it is very likely that what is uh, representative or what this lampstand is representative of is the people of God. Now, if that is, if that is so, then we also have the vision of, of oil. Now, oil in the Old Testament uh, is linked with the Holy Spirit very often. In fact, as we turn to the pages of the New Testament, when we read about Jesus Christ, we would always do well to remember that Christ is not his last name, uh, but rather it is a title. Christ is the one who is the anointed one. Well, what is he anointed with? Or with, with whom is he anointed with? He is anointed uh, with the Spirit. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1, speaks about how the Spirit was placed upon the servant. And so if we pull all these different pieces together, the lampstand, the bowl, the different pipes that are bringing down the oil, and the fact that the angel is drawing attention to the Spirit of God rather than might and power, the idea is that it is the Holy Spirit that will be the source for not only Zerubbabel's efforts, but the people in general's efforts and all that they do. That the Holy Spirit is the one that is constantly being distilled down into the lampstand and providing the necessary power and provision that they need. So for Zerubbabel, who is up against many different difficulties, the building of the temple, the advancing of God's purposes are not going to come by mere might and worldly power or this or that but by the Spirit, and God will see to it that He accomplishes His purposes. Which brings us to our second point, the certainty of success. Now, as I said, Zerubbabel was up against many different difficulties. If you read especially the books of Haggai, Ezra, Nehemiah, you see that there are, uh, the, there's a, a spiritual laziness among the people. That though they may want to build their own homes, they're not quite ready to build God's house. In Ezra and Nehemiah, we find out that there's many who are opposed uh, to the people of God who simply don't want to see uh, the work continue. And then, of course, it, it was just difficult work. Backbreaking work to clear away the stones of the ruined temple and to erect new walls. And yet, all of these are, are put before the prophet and they're described like a mountain. That the mountain of all these difficulties, what does he say? That the mountain shall become a plain. God is telling Zerubbabel and by extension his whole people that all the difficulties that seem to be pressing in against them will fall to a plain. And they will be nothing. 
Later on in verse 10, he says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Now, a plumb line was a, a, a long string or a long rope with a weight tied to it, the end of it. So that when you go up to the top of the wall, you can hang it off the wall and see if it's hanging off the wall. If it's not hanging flush with the wall, then you have a wall that's tilting a little bit. And we learn a few things from verses 9 to 10. One, that Zerubbabel is going to place the final stone on top of this temple. And secondly, he's going to hang the plumb line. He is going to be the one who is going to finish the job. And he's going to be able to hang the plumb line. And if you're able to hang the plumb line, that presupposes that the walls have been lifted up. And so this is a great encouragement for the people of God that there is going to be certainty in all their endeavors. There will be a certainty of success and they can take this promise and rest upon it. It is rock solid. Just as going back to Genesis chapter 15 with God and Abraham. When God told Abraham, know for certain that your descendants are going to, they're going to go down into Egypt, but I'm also going to bring them up. As soon as God spoke that promise, rock solid, it's going to happen. And that is how we are to be with the promises of God. If God has spoken it, it's rock solid, it's going to happen. And the same thing here. There is a certainty of success For the building project, there is a certainty of success for what Zerubbabel is going to undertake. And they are not to despise the day of small things. Yes, it will take time to clear away the rubble. Yes, it will take time day in, day out to be faithful. As it is in all Christian duties. Small things and yet they add up over time. Which brings us to our third and final point, which is the servants of success. Starting in verse 11, Joshua, rather, Zechariah, excuse me, goes on and he wants to know what exactly these olive trees are. As we said, there's a lampstand with seven golden lamps. There's the bowl on top with the pipes flowing down. But on either side, you have these olive trees. So he wants to know exactly what these are. If you read on to verse 14, it says, Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of all the earth. Now, in the commentaries, no small amount of ink has been spilt over exactly who these anointed ones are. But I'm confident if we use the context of the book of Zechariah and take notice of the fact that there have been two main primary characters throughout this book, I would argue strongly that these two anointed ones are none other than Joshua and Zerubbabel. As I said, Joshua was the high priest. And high priests under the Old Testament law were to be uh, anointed for their service. Zerubbabel also, although he's not officially functioning as a king, he does have a kingly function in the sense that he is the governor. And he is likely one who was anointed for the task. 
And if you flip over to the pages of the New Testament and you're studying the genealogy of Matthew, where it takes the uh, rulers of those who reigned from David all the way down to Jesus Christ, you get about halfway through that list, you're going to find the name Zerubbabel. Very interesting. So these two anointed ones would be Joshua and Zerubbabel. Why are they then standing as in the vision on either side of this basin of oil and on either side of the lampstands? Because the, the trees are then connected to the bowl and oil is flying in, or flowing into the bowl and then flowing down to the lampstand representative of the church. Within the context of this book, it appears that these two anointed ones are are conduits. They are ministers. They are uh, means by which God is bringing His blessing to the covenant community. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit originates with them, but rather God through His Spirit is working through these two men as they're laboring in their official capacity as both ruler and priest. So that as Joshua is faithful in leading God's people in, in worship through the power of the Spirit, the people will be blessed. When... Zerubbabel is faithful to his calling as a leader of God's people in leading them in paths of righteousness under the power of the Holy Spirit. God's people will be blessed. And that's a, that's a truth that we, we see our own confession, in our own confession that God, yes, He could work against means. He could use, use no means, but very often He uses means to accomplish His purposes. Take, for instance, the Exodus. Could God have appeared to Moses at the burning bush and said that he didn't require any, any human means at all? Yes. God could have struck a, a plague upon the people of Egypt. He could have uh, had their, their cities fall. But instead, he chose to use men like Moses, men like Aaron, to be his means to bring about his purposes. So these two anointed ones are going to be the servants of success. But as we read this fourth chapter of Zechariah, we we know that we read as those who have eyes who have read the New Testament. We read this as Christian Bible readers. I think we see some wonderful typology here in the fourth chapter of Zechariah. Zerubbabel is going to be the one who lays the final stone. He's going to be the one who brings about the building of the temple. He's charged with, with doing so. And yet as we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ who is the one who has been anointed by the Spirit, who accomplishes our redemption, who rises again from the dead on the third day, ascends up to sit with God the Father Almighty, what does He do? But He pours out the Spirit upon His church in order to bring about the building of the New Testament temple. 
Just as you saw the basin of oil above that flows down and fills the lampstand representative of the church, so Christ pours out the Spirit and it flows down upon the church and empowers the church to bring about the purposes of God in the world. And we said that the lampstand is representative of the church. Well, what does Paul tell us in the letter of Philippians? But that Christians, New Testament believers, shine as lights in a crooked generation. And with that, I would like to bring this message to a conclusion with three points of application. The first would be, and these all deal with how we are to live in light of a passage like this that is just chock full with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God. First would be dependent living. That we would be those who live in constant dependence upon the Holy Spirit because as we were reminded so well this morning, we are not able to produce within ourselves the fruit of the Spirit. We are not just to, to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and, and try to be those who are patient or self-controlled. But rather, we are to look to the risen Christ who has promised to pour out His Spirit upon us to enable us to live in a way that is in conformity to God's law. Second point would be expectant living. As I said, ultimately as we take our eyes and we fix them on the New Testament, we see that it is Christ who is the true temple builder. That as we look even at our, at our world today, we can see that He is Active as we just before a worship service began heard about all the different ways that the Lord is working in Europe, that He is raising up leaders, that even in places that have uh, rejected the gospel, there is new life sprouting. It is Christ who in Matthew chapter 16 says, And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he has been building ever since the first century, and he has not done yet. We should be expectant as we watch him continue to build the temple by means of the Holy Spirit through his servants. And then finally, prayerful living. And that is not only prayerful as we pray for matters in this generation. We should constantly be doing that. But this is something that we often forget and we would do well to remember as a church that we would not just be praying for the present generation, but be praying for future generations as well. That yes, the Lord is doing wonderful things in our day and age, but we ought to be praying, Lord, do something even greater in the future. And as we do that, we ought not to despise the day of small things. We ought not to despise the regular meeting together for prayer. We ought not to despise the ordinary means of grace of gathering together each and every Lord's Day. The ordinary works of, of small little points of obedience to God. Although the world may look upon that and see it as a day of small things, it adds up. Those are God's appointed means. 
Christ, by his spirit, will bring about his purposes, will build his church by means of the spirit through his servants. And it won't be by might, not by power, by his spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we thank you for this uh, word of encouragement from your prophet Zechariah. And Lord, we do look expectantly, knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who on the right day at the right time will place the final stone on the temple. And Lord, it will be a glorious day. We look forward to that and we pray, come Lord Jesus. Amen.